right, open up to Romans 12. Romans 12. We have been in a long series this year, since the beginning of the year, on transformation. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Pretty much every Sunday, without fail, we've started in these verses. And I shared with you before, you know, sometimes in church you're like, man, why are we still in, tra- you know, still in transformation? And I thought pastors are supposed to do like four-week series and move on, right? What, what is this like? We've been in this for like 20-plus weeks. Well, I shared with you before, the, the truth is transformation isn't just a, a Sunday series. It's not just a Sunday message. Transformation is daily. In fact, I would encourage, I would challenge you that Romans 12, 1 and 2 could be verses that you read every morning. You read them every morning to start your morning and it might just change your life, might just change your relationship, might change your priorities, might change your perspective, might change the decisions you'll make that day just by simply starting the day reading these two verses. So let's read them together. Romans 12, verses in 1 and 2. Ready? Begin. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will, right? So transformation, what's the M word we learned? It is metamorphosis, right? The word picture, we put it up here for weeks and weeks, is a caterpillar becoming a what? Butterfly, not an overnight thing. There are stages, stages. And the big church term is sanctification, right? Becoming more and more like Jesus for how long? As long as we're on this planet, we're to be in transformation, right? And if you were to read that verse again very carefully, I bet that could turn into a prayer every morning. Lord, today, I want to be a living sacrifice. Ooh, careful. Really? Right? Today, I don't want to conform any longer to the world. Ooh, that might affect some attitudes and habit patterns. That we picked up, right? Today, Lord, I want my mind renewed. I want to see things through your truth, through your word, right? I'll often do this as as a picture that came into my mind, right? As a believer in our transformation, as we grow in the word, ultimately we, we want to develop a biblical worldview, right? Which means we want to see the world through the scriptures. What you see on TV should be filtered through the word of God. What you see in the movies, what you see at the beach. (laughs) Right? What you hear, your music, is it filtered through the Word of God? Right? Oh, how about what you say? Your speech. Right? So transformation affects everything. Affects everything. Right? And that's why it can be a daily daily joyful process it's supernatural right it's supernatural that word metamorphosis is the word transfiguration 
when Jesus was transfigured on the mount, he brought up his voice, right? His, his close circle. He said, hey, dudes, check this out. Ah! Right? And what did he do? He said, this is what I'm really like on the inside. I'm going to give you a little show. Boom. Metamorphosis, transformation as believers is becoming more and more like Jesus to show the world what's on the inside. That's what it is. It's more and more just living your life based on the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit so that the world sees who? Jesus, right? In midsummer, we said, you know, the truth is it's not about me. It's not about you, right? The Bible says we're to bear much fruit so that who gets the glory? God, right? Sometimes we come to church. I want to get something. I hope, it's, I hope there's a good word. I hope it's good music. I hope it's good childcare. I hope it's good donuts this week, you know? And we come to church because we want to get. We want to get. We want to get when the truth is our walk with Jesus is about giving. Giving Him the glory. Giving others love. Giving others sacrificial love, right? It's all about really giving. And here's the crazy thing. When we give God the glory, when we give others self-sacrificially, hmm, who gets blessed? That's weird, right? In God's economy, it ends up blessing us. The givers who lay down their lives are the ones that get blessed as you lay down your life, right? So transformation. And we've been in this series, and through the summer, spring, summer, we've been kind of looking, okay, Lord, if transformation is this incredible thing, how many of you would, would amen that transformation is a wonderful thing? How many of you would, 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 would survey says, I want to be transformed? We do, right? We do. So we've been asking a question the last few weeks. Okay, but why the disconnect then? Why don't we just pray that prayer when we get up and just live like living sacrifices? Lord, here's my money. Lord, that person you want me to forgive, forgiven. Hmm? Right? Those old thought life, oh, I'll put it off. Those words that come out of my mouth. Wanna, if it's so good and so wonderful... Why the disconnect? Why such a huge challenge, right? And, and we've been looking at really specific reasons biblically for that. Turn to Hebrews 5. And we're going to keep looking at some of these, some of these truths. And I'm going to forewarn you right off the bat, because, you know, I love you, and we're to speak the truth in love. It's been a good but uncomfortable, even for me. You see, just, just to let you know, you, you, when, I, when I teach, you know, and, and again, it's teaching the Word of God, what God's Word says, I know you hear it and you're like, oh man, that's kind of uncomfortable. And you're hearing that for the first time here in 30, 40 minutes. I, I got to wrestle with this for a whole week. And God oftentimes, oh, what about you? What about you? What about you? Let's start with you. Right? And so I, I, I just lovingly encourage you to hang in there with the discomfort, with, with the, oh, man, that's hitting close to home. Because the Bible says that God disciplines those He loves. I'm called the shepherd. We're called here to make, what, disciples. To make disciples. Part of the disciple-making process is really to speak the truth in love, God's truth, and sometimes that means he's going to reveal things that are uncomfortable, that we're really used to hiding, that, you know, that brings out the greatest fears in us. 
our pride rears up. And I want to encourage you, this isn't meant to be condemning. It's not meant to be, you know, get your act together. I'm in there with you. I'm in there with you. Because, see, I understand the weight of my responsibility. And part of the, the, the weight that I bear is, you know, the, the Bible says that we're all going to give an account of our life to the Lord. Even believers. Right? Even believers are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And you will have to give an account of your life to the Lord. See, that weighs heavy on me. Because I better be teaching this correctly, because if you're going to live your life according to what this says, that will have a direct impact on how that conversation goes. See, transformation, the process that you will engage in, choose to if you want to, is directly related to that conversation you're going to have with the Jesus about your life. That's pretty heavy duty for me. That's my heart, because I want that conversation to go well. (laughs) I really do. I want, however it's going to happen, the Bible doesn't say, you know, is he going to sit you down? <laughs> I don't know how it's going to work. But when you stand before the Lord and the judgment seat of Christ to give an accounting, my prayer is that through this series on transformation, you'll be good to go as well as you can. Okay? And that's my heart. So I want you to, to hang in there with me even though it's like, oh, man, this is, you know... This isn't just fluff, if you want to call it that. It, it, it can be, but it's truth, and it's good. It's good, right? How many of you enjoy going to the dentist? Okay, you're weird, Pat. That's just weird, right? Right? And, and so, so about a month ago, I went to the dentist. The first time in like, where's my life? 25 years, right? <laughs> I'm going to have a moment of transparency here. I think it was my child rearing. No, just kidding. But um, I don't know what happened when I was a kid, but I just like I don't need to go. I never had cavities. Zero. My wife's after me, after me, get married. You should go to the dentist. You should go to the dentist. About 10 years into it, she just gives up. <laughs> right? Just gives up. So the kids are in town this past, uh, in, this summer, and everybody's going to the dentist. So she engages the kid pressure. Dad, are you going? Hey, Dad, are you going to go? We're all going. So about, it was about a month ago, right? About a month ago. Okay, you want me to be really honest? Okay, typically, how, here's how it goes. She'll make the appointment and tell me, and then she leaves it up to me to cancel. You know how you get that window or else they charge you, right? So she made this appointment, and I didn't plan to go. But she left town, so I forgot that there was an appointment. And she came back, and it was too late to cancel. I'm like, oh, man, 25 bucks. I can't not go. But that was the real truth, because I forgot. I was about to call when she was out of town. <laughs> can't make it. Ministry. Okay, just kidding. But So I go, and I'm just going to be honest with you. Fear, pride been a whole long time they're going to take pictures right so all this stuff because like the dentist is like super vulnerable right and then they take pictures and they flash it up on their new digital screen immediately right and all right it's like you're exposed you're busted you're just it's just very a very vulnerable thing right and who likes to be like you know what are they going to think they're going to judge you know they're going to snicker and all that kind of stuff right so, so I go, and I'm like, ah. 
And they're all like, man, you're quiet. I was like, what's wrong, Dad? You're quiet in the car. You know, and I'm like, ah, oh. <laughs> quiet in the waiting room. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, my heart's beating. But you got to be cool, right? You got to be cool, right? So you're like, instead of playing it all cool, they take all these pictures. And I kid you not, this is the truth. The, the tech who took the pictures says, you got good genetics. You have no cavities. How long has it been? I'm like, yeah, I told you I didn't need to go. I told you I didn't need to go. So I'm feeling pretty good about myself, right? And then the doctor comes in. The doctor, the real dentist, dentist comes in. and I'm like, okay, what's this? I had no cavities. What's the problem, right? I thought I was done. Oh, no, the doctor's going to come in and meet you and do a little exam. I'm like, so, so the doctor comes in, nice doctor and dentist and program. And, and she says, uh, does, do your gums bleed? Do you have any issues like hot and cold and all this? I'm like, nope, nope. Good to go, good to go, good to go. Feeling pretty good about myself again, right? She goes, well, there's a problem. There's a problem. It's been so long since you've been here that there's so much buildup. What do you call that? Plaque, part of whatever. That the reason you don't feel that stuff is this is like caked on there, buddy. You know? There's like inflammation and there's all this kind of stuff. And so the last two weeks, I had to go to a deep cleaning where they, like, numb half your face one week at a time. That's the weirdest thing, right? They numb you, and then they pull out these really sharp things, and all you can hear is, <laughs> and she's, like, pulling it off. Like, clink, clink. I got one, you know, shrapnel going all over the place. And it's, like, hour and a half, half my face, and then the next week, the other half, right? It's weird when you go to Trader Joe's trying to drink coffee after, you know, Here's the point, though. I thought I was good to go because I didn't feel anything. My gums weren't bleeding and I didn't have any hot or cold issues, right? Even though I didn't feel anything, there were still problems. Even though I didn't feel anything, there were no obvious feelings or emotion. You know, I thought I was good to go. The problem had built up over time that it was actually burying and masking the problem. And that's what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. In our transformation with the Lord, sometimes things have built up spiritually. We've drifted or we've become spiritually hardened. That, you know what, we feel like we're good to go. When the truth is, there's stuff that needs to be corrected, needs to be fixed, needs to be addressed. And it's just been masked under the hardening. And that, that's why I understand, you know, spiritually, why this, this can be tough. Because sometimes when we hear scriptures like this, our first reaction is, but I don't feel any. I, I'm good. I'm kind of good, aren't I, Lord? I'm good. I don't have any major crisis right now. I'm good. The truth is maybe we've got some pride issues. It's pride and it's fear and it's, you know, fear of judgment, fear of whatever. All that stuff that comes in when you go to the dentist. And you get laid bare, right? It's like, it was humbling. It's a humbling, helpless physical situation to be sitting there while someone's working on you, right? So I get that. I just want you to know I share that, this story with you so you understand that I get it. Because sometimes when the Lord speaks to us through His Word, it's like going to the dentist. You thought everything was fine and you were feeling pretty good. And then He says, well, no, there's, there's something there. 
And we've got to work on it. We, we, it's just going to take some time. You might have to come in and all that kind of stuff. So, so hang in there, okay? Hang in there. We're in this altogether transformation. In Hebrews 5, right last week, we saw that there was a problem that the author speaks to, to believers. He wants to tell them about Jesus being a high priest of the order of Melchizedek. He wants to go deeper. He wants them to, to teach them some, some sort of more meaty doctrine. But look at Hebrews 5.11. He says this, We have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God, God's Word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, righteousness, but solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Verse 11, we have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Look on your notes. I put this last week's kind of as a review on the back side. That word, that phrase, you are slow to learn. Look what it says there in different translations. In the New King James, you have become dull of hearing. In the New Living Translation, you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. That word dullness means there's no push, there's no drive. They're spiritually sluggards. They're spiritually lethargic. They're spiritually lazy. And it's something that has happened over time. To where he says, hey guys, you've been in church how long? You've been in church how long? What? What happened? He says, by this time, you ought to be teachers. And, and it's very challenging. Last week was really, really challenging. Because many of us have been in the church for quite a while. And here's the question. Are you where you ought to be? Spiritually. Are you where you ought to be? Or have you or I become spiritually dull, spiritually lazy, dull of hearing, right? And it's interesting, we had some fun last week with this. Diana, come on up again. Because you all know Diana. Godly Diana. This is Diana. How many years have you been walking with the Lord? Seriously? Seriously. Um, 40 years. So the word picture, and I share this with you, the word picture would be, Diana, you've been walking with the Lord 40 years. Go ahead, take it. And you still got a bottle? See, I mean, if we just leave that picture, <laughs> right? It, it's, a, it's, it's a little bit strange. It's a little bit strange. Oh, Mark, come on, thank you. Mark, come here, buddy. Yeah, I know, Mark. There's, there's no safe rows in here. You know, it's too small. I, can, I know you keep moving around. I keep finding you. Same with Mark. If I give this to Mark, Mark, but Mark, you brought us to Mexico. You go to Haiti. He's, he's, a mission, he's, he's setting up missions here. Wouldn't it be, the word picture is Mark still needs milk. Right? Right? Nah, right? So thank you. That's what he's saying. And so last week we, we asked that question, are you where you ought to be in your spiritual maturity? And, and, and that's not a Sunday question. That's why I could take it home and chew on that question. Seriously, and I get that. A lot of times I understand Sundays, we try to do so much and cram all in. Really, guys, this type of thing, you need to really sit with the Lord and read those verses. 
and say, Lord, speak to my heart. Where am I? Am I where I ought to be? How many of us ought to be teachers? See, I want to encourage you with these verses and where we're going last week and this week. We're all excited about a new facility on the East End. Amen? And we're really excited because we see it as an opportunity for God to impact the valley. Amen? And the world. Question, who is God going to want to use to impact the valley and the world? And don't point to the person next to you. You. Us. So it's incumbent upon us to be where we ought to be. Even if that means getting out of our comfort zone. Even if that means being stretched. That's why I love Mexico trips. That's why I love people who sign up. Thank you very much for all of you who have signed up. It is phenomenal for serving. Thank you very much. You're stepping out. You're growing. You're exercising, right? That word exercise is gymnasium. Transformation requires a choice. requires work if you're going to do it. So last week we asked the question, well, man, how's my hearing? Right? How many of you grew up back in school when they had the hearing tests? Right? How many of you got scared that you would get it wrong? Because it was so faint. Man, I was so freaked out in like fifth and sixth grade. I'm like, so intense, right? And then I would try to cheat because you would see if they want to push the button, the old school button. I'm like, oh, did she just push a button? I better raise a hand just in case. You know, I'm like, I, I was so freaked out, but I was so intense because I wanted to hear the faint little, right? And many of us as believers, we first came to the Lord and we wanted to hear God's word. Wanted to get the church. We wanted to hear it. We're like, oh, I want to hear the Lord speak to me, speak to me, speak to me. And we had that intensity. And over time, maybe we just got dull. Maybe we just got comfortable. And so last week we encouraged you to, to reassess there. This week, we're going to continue kind of along the same theme. Go to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 3. It's amazing how the Apostle Paul is speaking to the believers in Corinth, and he says essentially the same thing. He's speaking to believers, church at Corinth. In chapter 1, he's been advised that there's some divisions in the church, lack of unity. And so he addresses it in chapter 3, starting in verse 1. And he, listen, listen to what he says here. 1 Corinthians 3.1 Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? For one, one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow uh, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? The Apostle Paul had worked with the Church of Corinth, some believe up to 18 months by this period of time. So he had kind of been their spiritual father. He had birthed the church. Many of them came to Christ. So as, as new believers, he's been discipling them, nurturing them. But he comes to a point where he says, verse 2, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not yet ready for it. And then he says this, indeed... You are still not ready. You are still worldly. You see? Suddenly he's like, wait, wait, wait. There's a problem here. Time out. Time out. Hey, brothers and sisters. Because he's speaking, right? He says brothers. So he's speaking to the church. He says, hey, when we first started together, we started with the basics, the foundations. And he says, but there's, there's a problem right now. You are still worldly. 
And what he's saying is this. He's saying is this. You've come to Christ. You're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But in this, this particular area, when he says worldly, I put the, look at the different uh, versions in your notes there. It's really helpful. Verse 3, it says, You are still worldly. You are still carnal. You are still of the flesh. And the New Living Translation says, You are still controlled by your sinful nature. The Greek word is governed by human nature, not by the Spirit of God. Believers acting like unbelievers. He says, hey, in Christ, positionally you're in Christ. I'm, I'm, I'm talking to you like believers, but there's a problem. And he said, and it's very specific in the context, in this area of division, of disunity. He says, there's a problem, guys. In this area, you are still being controlled by the old man, by the old nature. You're still being worldly. You're still being carnal. Right? And, and it's kind of put a roadblock in their maturity and their transformation. And it says there, right? It says, believers acting like unbelievers. See, what's happened in the church, Paul was there, then Apollos comes along, and people are like, oh, dude, I like Paul, man. Paul's cool. I like his preaching style. Oh, no, Apollos. No, Apollos, man, he is so funny. I like Apollos. You've got to go to his service. And so there's these personality camps that have emerged and the church is being divided. And he's like, whoa, 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 time out, time out, time out. Here's the problem. Here's the heart of the problem. In this area, you're allowing yourself to be controlled by the old nature. The old nature is rearing its head. And in this case, it's rearing its head in division, which ultimately is rearing its head in what? When the old nature rears its head, who is it ultimately about? Self. It's ultimately about self is the old nature. And so this morning, the challenge and the question is, what area in your life, what area in my life is still under the control of the old nature? See, I look out here and I, and I love you guys and I've known many of you, not just six years, but way back. And you're good, nice people and you love the Lord and you're doing your best. But if we want to get real in this transformation, you've got to ask yourself, Lord, is there an area of my life where I'm still worldly? Lord, is there an area of my life where I'm still carnal? Lord, is there an area of my life where I'm still allowing the old sinful nature to dominate that area? It's not your whole life. But perhaps God's like, no, this is, this is the area. In your, in your transformation with with him in that process, maybe today, maybe last week, he's like, yeah, you know what? Good job. Good job. Right? Good job, Mark. Come a long way. But Mark, now it's time. That one area. That one area, Mark. Remember a couple weeks ago that the title of the sermon was, you want that too? Right? And sometimes in our walk with Jesus, he says, okay, now it's time. Mark, I love you, buddy. You're my child. I've seen so much. You serve me faithfully. But Mark, there's that one area where that old man just tends to rear his head, right? And what does Paul say in Romans 7? Oh, come on! Remember, you know the Apostle Paul? He struggled with whatever it was. The things that I don't want to do, I do, right? The things I, that I should do, I don't. So Paul's going through that too, that old sin nature still rearing his head. And so in 1 Corinthians 3, the Apostle Paul's like, okay, hey guys, 
The church is in disarray. The church is being divided. That there's disunity and strife in the church ultimately because our hearts aren't right. And our hearts aren't right because there's still areas in our life where the old man is still being allowed to roam and reign. Okay? And that's why, uh, you know, don't take it as like, a, oh man, another pounding. No, it's like the Lord is lovingly saying, okay, how about this one area? How about this one area? Right? It could be anything. It's not necessarily division. It could be your finances. Who runs your finances? It could be relationships. It could be issues of forgiveness. It could be your thought life. It could be anything that you have not surrendered to the Lord. And if we're honest, we're still choosing to allow the flesh to, to, to run that area. Maybe not as much as before, but still. And so this morning as we continue looking at, you know, why is there a disconnect? Lord, what's going on in my life? I see transformation. I want transformation. It just might be that there's an area in my life or your life where you've got to surrender. Where you've got to first acknowledge, yeah, you're right. I, I, I'm kind of the king in that area. I still rule the roost. It's still my show. I'm not hurting anybody. You know? I want to encourage you. Sin and living for the flesh, here's the truth. It's never in isolation. We want to compartmentalize our sin or, or the stuff that we want to keep private and think we're not hurting anybody. It ultimately affects everybody. And see, these issues of the heart had bled out into the Corinthian church and now there was division and envy and strife. All because, well, I just like Paul. What's the problem with that? I just like Apollos. That's what's the problem with that. You see what I'm saying? Everyone said, what's the problem? It's just my opinion. But that my opinion, that, that selfishness had bled into now is affecting the whole church. And that's what happens in churches. If a church is in strife and a church is in discord, you've got to go all the way back to individual hearts. I read a statistic. It blew me away. One statistic said every year, this is back from 2013, one statistic said like eight to 10,000 churches close every year. Close. Eight to 10,000 churches close every year. Now, there's a lot of reasons for that, and they did this study. But as I was thinking, I'm like, man, if the church is made up of people, ultimately it's going to come down to hearts. Because see, the greatest testimony, the greatest advertisement, I don't like that word, but the greatest advertisement for Jesus and the church is who? The church. The people. You. Me. We're the greatest advertisement for more people wanting to be here on a Sunday morning instead of sleeping in. And it's amazing, right? Because people do what people want to do, right? I was at Nordoff Sunday, Saturday morning, yesterday morning. Exercise and got there like at 7 a.m. No one there. It's kind of cool. At 7.30, all these cars start coming into the parking lot. I'm like, man, what's going on? Let me just do my workout. By 7.45, the whole Nordoff parking lot by the tennis courts is filled. And you know who's getting out of the car on Saturday morning at 7.30? Little kids dressed up for soccer. And their parents. And you know what? They're happy. And they're excited. And they're enthused. 7.30 a.m. Saturday morning. They have three fields set up. And it's all filled with people. Because the game started at 8. And I'm like, wow, whoa, whoa, whoa. 
And at church, we get so concerned that, oh, we can't start too early. What time are we going to start in the new facility? Right, Tony? Right, Cindy? I need my coffee, Pastor. You know, is we going to start later? Can I sleep in a little bit? And so in church, we get all twisted in knots. What time should service be? Because, you know, we don't want to inconvenience people. And we want them. And I'm there at Nordoff. And all these kids, they weren't being dragged to soccer. And mom and dad weren't like bummed out. They were all excited. The kids were dressed, fed, groomed. Get out the car and run to the soccer field. I'm like, and parents are all happy and they're all talking. Saturday at 730. I'm like, what? Okay. People do what they want to do. Ultimately, right? And that, that's a, it's a heart issue. It's a heart issue, guys. And I say that lovingly. I say that as a shepherd. I say that as someone who's just in there with you. I got them. Going to the dentist, man. Deal with pride. Deal with fear. Dude, and now I'm all comfortable in there, you know. But I had to work through that. It was extreme. Except for that 25 bucks, I would not know any of this, you know. (laughs) But it's an issue of the heart. And I close with this before we take communion. I share with you a story. Back in San Diego, when I was a youth pastor, I worked with a guy who was heavy in the game. Junior high, high school guy. Came to our church. Met with him almost every week. Not just on Sunday, but during the week. Take him to Bible study. Hardcore game. Just hardcore gang guy. Nice guy, though. We knew him, his family. Me and him got along well. We would chat, talk, if there was going on in your life, and, you know, just try to minister to him. Met for quite a while. I went to another church. He graduated. Heard kind of through the grapevine, you know, people shooting at his house, bullets flying in his room. He ended up in jail. And then I was at a church in Oceanside, and I found out he was laying tile in a new development. I'm like, oh, I'm going to go check him out. So, Went, showed up, surprised him, right? And I, and I asked him this question. I said, hey, man, you remember all those times we met when you were all crazy? He goes, yeah, I remember that. I asked him, did it make a difference? Because we had that guy. I said, man, come on, man, just be honest with me. Did that even make a difference? And I loved this answer, and it stuck with me ever since. He goes, man, you know what? I know you cared about me, and you were a good influence, but I was going to do what I was going to do. He didn't try to candy coat it. I was a good influence, right? I was a youth pastor that his parents wanted to meet and would take him. I was a good influence, but he was going to do what he was going to do, and that led him all the way to incarceration, and I've lost touch with him. So I understand that we're all going to do what we're going to do. My prayer is that what you want to do is his, (laughs) what he wants you to do. Because God is good and all the time. And two weeks ago we learned that because God is good all the time, God's will is good. You got to trust that. It is so sweet to trust in Jesus. So when you're at this crossroads and the old man's like, come on, let's do it. And it's like, you know, the, the old little devil in the thing. And you're at this crossroads. It's like, come on, just do it, right? What will help you make that choice? Trusting that God's will is good. Believing his love. And so when your flesh rears up and everything in you, even your friends are like, come on, man, just do it. Oh, you're a Christian now. Well, you're too good for us. You're good in two shoes. All that kind of stuff. It's God's goodness and his love 
and your love for him and the power of the Holy Spirit that will enable you to take that one step. It's crazy. I read this week in, in my research of this, preparing for this, there's a thing called the crab effect. And a, a fisherman had a, a, a bucket of crabs. And the guy observed, and there was no lid on the, the bucket of crabs, those little sea crabs, right? And the reason was that whenever a crab decides that I'm done, I've got to get out of this bucket, and starts climbing up, you know what the other crabs do? They pull him down. He ain't going nowhere. It's called the crab effect. And that can even happen in the church. That's why sometimes you've been in church for so long and you get excited for the Lord and you want to worship and you want to be like, Mark, and put your hands up and all this kind of stuff. And you kind of like get scared because you don't know what the other church people are going to think about you. Wes, what got into you? Who do you think you are now? It's so crazy. In the church, we can have this weird peer pressure where we're scared of loving Jesus. Because we've been in the church for 40 years. And I know how to do church. I spoke at a, at a uh, snowboarding trip years ago, Mammoth, a church, in, a church from Orange County. And the chaperones, I went there for high schoolers, but the chaperones were senior ladies. And I talked about freedom in Christ and everything and encouraged people to raise their hands. I'm talking to the teenagers. After one night, the ladies go, hey, come here, come here, come here. We put our hands up. I'm like, yeah! Woo! Because they were so, you know, you were, we get bound up in the church. So I'm going to encourage you right here. In this church, we want there to be zero crab effect. Amen? In fact, if someone is climbing up to Jesus, here's what you do. Push them. Get them out the bucket. Say, it's about time, man. Go. And if you're on top looking down, grab someone and lift them up. Amen. Let's do that. Let's do that. Here you have the freedom to love Jesus. Here you have the freedom to get out of the box. Here you have the freedom to be transformed, even if you've never done it before. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Thank you that we have the freedom in Christ to get out of the bucket. And Lord, I know these, these times in your word, the last couple of Sundays, it's, it's uncomfortable. It's like going to the dentist. It's like being told that maybe something's not right. So last week we asked ourselves, Lord, has my hearing gone dull? And, and this week we ask ourselves, Lord... Is there an area in my life where I'm just letting the old man have his way? The old nature still dominates because I choose to allow it. And Lord, only you know that answer. There's nothing hidden from your sight. There really isn't. And as uncomfortable as it is, we can come clean to you and say, Lord, yeah, busted, you got me. It's that area, and it's that area, and yeah, that old man, I, I'm just comfortable, or I don't, I don't know what to do, or, or man, that's going to take something, or I don't know what people are going to think if I know, where all that stuff comes up, Lord, and, and I just want to pray for my brothers and sisters, I just want to pray that through your Holy Spirit, you will work in our hearts. And in this time of communion, We remember you, Jesus, 
And I think of you in the garden, and you're like, Father, there's any way that this cup can pass. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. So Jesus understands the struggle that we face even right this very second. Jesus understands. He understands all the pressure. He understands all the fear. He understands all the weight that says, don't do it. Don't stay where you are. Don't yield. Don't surrender. Don't submit. And yet Jesus surrenders. Nevertheless, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Father, give us the faith to trust that you are good and your will is good. Give us the power through the Holy Spirit to walk by faith and not by sight in newness of life. We're going to uh, distribute the communion cups. There's two cups. And we're just going to have a time of reflective prayer and encourage you just to uh, come before the Lord with these areas and ask the Lord to show you as you remember Christ to show you maybe through Jesus' example in the garden, Lord, is there an area in my life where I need to say, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done.